0: Listen, I'm not trying to keep you this morning. I simply want to preach the word as God has given it to me and allow the spirit to help you to respond as the spirit moves in your heart. So with that being said, I want to to invite you to open your copy of God's word to the sixth chapter of the book of Joshua, to Joshua chapter 6. I need you to do me a, I, I, I need you to promise me something. Uh, Joshua chapter 6 is a is a lengthy passage. And I fear that we do not have time to read the passage in its entirety. I want to read simply two verses out of Joshua chapter 6 that'll give you an idea of the message of Joshua chapter 6. But but if I read simply these two verses, can you promise me? That sometime today or sometime this week, you will read Joshua chapter 6 in its entirety. Amen. Amen. Just reading two verses, I want you to one day get home, open God's word, and read the entirety of Joshua chapter 6 so next time I come back, when and if I come back, you can check what I said according to the word of God and you can tell me whether or not I got it right. Amen. So for the purpose of our discussion this morning, I simply want to read Joshua chapter 6, verse 1, and then we'll go down and read Joshua chapter 6, verse 20, those two verses. Joshua chapter 6, beginning at verse 1. Now the gates of Jericho were securely barred because of the Israelites. No one went out and no one came in. Now verse 20. When the trumpet sounded, the army shouted. And at the sound of the trumpet, when the men gave a loud shout, the walls collapsed. So everyone charged straight in, and they took the city. There's a whole story that happens between verse 1 and verse 20, and that that story we'll be dealing with today. Verse 1, the walls of Jericho are, 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 are up. No one can come in and no one can go out. Verse 20, the people of Israel give a large, loud shout and the walls of of Jericho come crashing down. The word of God for the people of God this morning. I want to breathe a word of prayer. And then I want us all to listen attentively to, to the message that God has for us this morning. Amen. Amen. Father, you be glorified uh, through your word as it is preached. You be exalted as it is explained. And we pray this in Jesus' name. And all who are God's people said, Amen. 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 Thanksgiving happens to be my favorite holiday, in part because Thanksgiving is the only occasion where my wife will let me back into the kitchen. <laughs> I say back into the kitchen because there was a time where I had access to the kitchen until my wife revoked my privileges. You, know? <laughs> y- you see, I, I fancy myself as a chef. That's my phone. Can someone <laughs> I fancy myself as as a world-famous chef. In fact, if I wasn't a preacher, I think I'd be Bobby Flay or some other chef on the Food Network. When my wife and I first got married, every chance I got, I was trying out new and different recipes. That's how much I love cooking. And someone once told me, and Pedro, maybe you can tell me if they're right on this or not. But any great chef can read and see a recipe, substitute some of the ingredients that they have, and make an even better dish than what the recipe calls for. That, that's right. And and that's what I tried to do with my wife. I would read a recipe. And because we didn't have a a gourmet kitchen, I I would sometimes take and substitute some of the ingredients and and replace it with what I thought were similar ingredients, hoping to produce a better dish. And my wife just got tired of trying my meals. I I think the, the final nail in the coffin was the time I tried to make duck a la ronge. <laughs> now, duck a la ronge, and in case you didn't know this, is is a fine French dish served only in the finest French restaurants. And, and when I saw the recipe for duck a la ronge, I, I, I decided that that night, my wife and I would dine on duck a la here, here are some of the ingredients for duck a la of, of course, duck. It also calls for an orange liqueur, such as Grand Marnier, kumquats, ground fennel seeds, ancho chili powder, ground cumin, ground coriander, ground cloves, chardonnay vinegar, and fresh chives. That, that sounds good, don't it? Unfortunately, I didn't have none of those. I, I, I didn't even have the duck. So I decided to substitute the ingredients I didn't have with similar ingredients that I did have. So rather than duck, I substituted it with what I thought was the next closest thing, chicken. I didn't have an orange liqueur, so so I took some orange juice and mixed it with (laughs) vodka. That sounded good to me. I, I, I didn't have kumquats. And when I googled kumquats and found out what they were, they are like orange type things about the size of an olive. I was like, I'm gonna just take some orange slices and substitute it for the kumquats. I didn't have Chardonnay vinegar. That's white vinegar. I didn't have those fancy spices like ground coriander, the cumin, the, the ground felon seeds, the, the allspice, the ground pink peppercorn. But I had lowry seasoned salt. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I had some I had some Mrs. Dash. I had some Goyo adobo. I I was good. That night, I followed the recipe as best as I could, substituting and taking liberties with some of the ingredients that I had. And and when my wife came home, I I had the candles lit. I turned down the lights. I had created the atmosphere in the room, I put the dishes down, and, and, and I knew when she tasted it just by the look on her face <laughs> that the recipe hadn't gone as I expected. And, and, and then I tasted it, and, and it wasn't duck a la ronge, it was chicken gone all wrong. My wife asked me what had happened, what went wrong. And and, and being the type of husband I am, I lied to her face. I I told her that what went wrong was the recipe, (laughs) that the recipe was bad. But in reality, I knew. It wasn't that the recipe was flawed, it was that the recipe wasn't followed. It wasn't that the recipe was flawed. It was that the recipe was not followed. Do you know that that can happen to you in your relationship with God as well? That God often gives us these incredible promises that come with instructions And you and I will often take licenses and liberties with those instructions, believing that we can substitute what God tells us to do with what we want to do. And when those promises never become real in our lives, we do the same thing I did. We don't admit that the problem lies with us. We say it's because God's instructions were flawed. Not that God's instructions were not followed. Here, here's my sermon in a sentence this morning, our how. To get God's blessings in your life, God's instructions have to be obeyed perfectly to get God's blessings in and on your life, it requires perfect obedience to what God tells you to do. When we get to Joshua chapter 6, what we are really getting to is the beginning of the end of a story that is a 1,000 years in the making, roughly 1,000 years ago. God appeared to a man named Abraham and gave him a series of promises. And at the heart of this promise was what scholars refer to as a land pledge. God promised that one day Abraham would have a nation of children. And that nation would call the land that Abraham was living on the promised land As their own. A thousand years later, Israel is now on the verge of capturing, calling their own the promised land. It it took so long for this to happen, in part because of Israel's disobedience. Forty years ago, God wanted to give Israel the land. And 40 years ago, Israel sent out 12 spies to look at the land. And ten spies came back and said, the land is rich in milk and honey, uh, a metaphor for it being rich in agricultural resources. The the land is everything that God told us it was, except that there are giants living in the land. And, And even though God promised that he would deal with those giants, Israel decided to live by fear rather than living by faith. They didn't trust God who made a promise to deliver on that promise. And as a result, God was so upset with them, he cursed Israel to wander 40 years in the wilderness. He wanted to wait till all that previous generation that had denied him died off. Now, now the distance between Egypt and and the promised land is only 3 weeks. It was only a 3 week journey between Israel and the promised land but but yet Israel made what should have taken 3 weeks and turned that into a 40 week journey. How did that happen? They were simply wandering back and forth between Egypt and the promised land. They, they were going back and forth in between their promise and their reality. Has, has, has that ever happened to you? Where you feel you are stuck in a place of simply wandering, where your finances are not where you want it to be, you're, you're wandering, your relationship. Is not where you want it to be. You you feel like you're you're wandering. Your, Your life is not where you want it to be. You feel like you're wandering. Here's the good news for you this morning. God can deliver on his promises and call you from your life of wandering and place you at the doorstep of your destiny just like he did with Israel. Israel is now at the doorstep of their destiny. They are at the foot of the walls of Jericho. Now, now, Jericho was the entrance into the promised land. And because of its strategic location, if Israel could get through Jericho, they would have access to the entirety of the land of Canaan. Except there's, there's one huge Problem in Israel's way. Israel had to get into Jericho, conquer the people living there before they could conquer the other people in Canaan and claim their promise. But Jericho was enclosed behind this massive wall. Archaeologists who who've excavated that wall say that the wall of Jericho was the largest and most fortified wall in the ancient world. Cities would would often build themselves enclosed around a wall as a means of protecting them from a flood, but but mostly as a means of protecting them from invading armies. And Israel now had to find a way into Jericho through this massive wall. The the task of leading Israel into Jericho, was given to a man named Joshua. But Joshua was not responsible for getting Israel into Jericho. That role and that responsibility was one that belonged exclusively to God. It, It is God who would develop the strategy that Israel needed so that they can get into the wall of Jericho. And In Joshua chapter 6, Joshua tells us the strategy that God gave him to get into Jericho. Here's the strategy. Joshua is to take the army of Israel, take some priests, have them carry the Ark of the Covenant, take some more priests, seven priests in fact, have them carry horns, and for six days, Walk around the city once. So, so, army, priest, ark of the covenant, horns, six days, once a day, walk around the wall of Jericho. On the seventh day, army, priest, ark of the covenant. Now, this time, don't just walk around six, one time, walk around seven times. And after you've walked around seven times, you, you want to give a large shout, and the wall will come crashing down. L- let me go over the strategy with you one more time so, so, so you can get it. Huge, massive wall. You got me? Uh, army, priest, Ark of the Covenant, horns, walk around it one time. Seventh day walk around it seven times, make a large shout, wall will come crashing down. The only problem with this strategy is that this strategy don't make no sense. It doesn't make any sense at all. The problem that Israel is facing is the wall. Yet God doesn't give any instructions to Israel that addresses the problem of the wall. If God knew what he was doing, God would tell Israel to to lay siege to the city. That's where they wouldn't allow anything to go in or come out, cut off all of their water and food supply so that they at some point got so hungry and thirsty that they opened the wall to let someone come in. That, that, that Israel should be attacking the wall to see if there are any weak spots on the wall. And maybe they could discover a weak spot and get into the wall. But what God tells Israel t- to walk around it, does God ever in your life give you instructions that don't make sense, that don't seem to address the problem you're facing you told God the problem is your wife. <laughs> but God has given you no instructions that deal with the problem that you're facing, which is your wife. You, you, you told God that, that the problem is the people at your job. But yet, God, the instructions he gives you doesn't seem to be dealing What's the problem that you're facing? You you, you told God that the problem is you don't have enough money. But God gives you instructions that doesn't seem to address the problem that you're facing. What is God doing here? I, 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 I think I know what he's doing. Ever since... Israel's birth, her inception. Israel has been a disobedient and distrustful people. Re- remember when Israel first came out of Egypt? When God did all these incredible miracles on her behalf? And, and, and what's the first thing Israel started doing after she walked across the Red Sea? She started complaining, saying, God, God, didn't give her enough food or water, as if the God who led them into the wilderness was not able to take care of them in the wilderness. Israel had a trust problem, and Israel had a disobedience problem. Remember when God gave them the 10 tablets? And one of the laws on the tablet said, you should have no other gods before me before God even could give them The instructions, Moses found Israel worshiping an idol. Israel had a disobedience and a trust problem. So when God tells Israel to march around the city, God is not trying to fix what's in front of Israel. God is trying to fix what's in Israel. Israel, just like you and I would know that marching around the city has nothing to do with causing the walls to collapse. But if Israel marched around the city and did what God told them to do, they would be demonstrating to God that we trust you and we have faith in you to do what you tell us to do even when it doesn't make sense. And God is also demonstrating to us his priorities. When we tell God about our problems, and God gives us instructions that have nothing to do with our problems, it's a simple reason for that. God would rather fix what's in you before he fixes what's around you. That's why. When you tell God that your spouse is the problem, God tells you to love your wife and, hu- and wives, submit to your husbands, because God would rather fix what's in you before he fixes what's around you. That, that, that's why. When you tell God you're broke and you don't have any money, God still tells you to practice mercy and generosity. Because God would rather fix what's in you before he fixes what's around you. That's why on your job. When you tell God how horrible the people are who you work with, God tells you to love your enemies anyway because God would rather fix what's in you before he fixes what's around you. And some of you don't understand what God is doing by giving you these instructions. God's priorities are not always to first fix what's around you. They're not always to first fix the problems that you face. God's priorities are always to deal with the internal disposition of the heart. God would rather fix first what's in you before he fixes what's around you. And I I know I'm right about it because Mark chapter 2 tells me so. Remember what happened in in Mark chapter 2? A group of friends took this man who was paralyzed to Jesus, and, and in order to get him to Jesus, they had to cut through this roof. And they lowered this man who could not walk down to Jesus. This man came with the expectations that Jesus would say a word and he'd be able to walk again. But remember what Jesus told him, your sins are forgiven. Could you imagine the the look on that man's face? Jesus. Jesus. I don't care nothing about my sins right now. I I, want to walk. Don't you see that I can't move around? Don't you understand that because I can't walk, I can't get a job. I have to beg people. People have to carry me around. Jesus, fix my problem. But Jesus said, your sins are forgiven. It's only until after People challenge Jesus' authority to forgive sins. Did Jesus tell the man, pick up your mat and walk? Notice how it goes. Jesus fixes what's in the man before he fixes what's around the man. And, And if you want things in your life to change, Remember God's priorities. God would rather fix you before he fixes the things around you. These instructions were designed to help solve Israel's disobedience, their lack of faith, their mistrust problems. And and note, God says, once I fix what's in you, I'll take care of the wall because those instructions are tied to the fact that as Israel obeys, the walls would come crumbling down. Beginning in in verse 6, the narrative begins to slow down tremendously. Joshua, who, who is ever writing this account, pauses to focus on the fact that Israel obeyed God's instructions perfectly. On the first day, they did exactly what God told them to do. On the second day, they did exactly what God told them to do. And the third, and on the fourth, and on the fifth, and on the sixth, and and then on the seventh, the climax of the story, they did exactly what God told them to do. And the walls began crumbling down now. Now, what's amazing about this report is that the Israelites followed God's instructions on day one, on day two, on day three, on day four, on day five, without seeing any indication that the walls would collapse. You you, you just missed that. Israel continued to obey God despite not seeing any indication that the wall would collapse. On the first day, they didn't walk around and a brick fell that encouraged them to walk around the second day and then another brick fell that encouraged them to walk around the third day. And then a, another brick fell. They kept marching, even though they didn't have any evidence that God was moving. Now, 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 now I know I'm a pastor. I, I, I'm supposed to be a spiritual example, but if that was me, around Thursday I'd have stopped. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not walking around no walls, Lord unless I know something is going to happen. And I get this strange sense that I'm not the only one. That the reason you and I find it so difficult to obey God is that God often demands consistent and persistent obedience, even when we have no evidence that what we're doing is working. And for some of us, unless we see evidence that God is moving, we're going to stop marching. And that's why, for some of us, we never get to the miracle that we want. Because to get where God moves, we have to continue to march even when we don't see any evidence of God's moving. That's why Paul tells us to pray without ceasing, because it often doesn't happen on the first prayer. Sometimes it takes a hundred prayers. That's why Jesus says, ask and knock. And when he says, ask and knock, it means to persistently and continuously ask, knock, and seek because sometimes God doesn't always open the door on the first knock. Sometimes God doesn't answer on the first request. Sometimes God demands persistency in what we do before He moves. And if you don't continue to move, even though God isn't, even though God gives you no evidence that He's working, you might miss out on your miracle. It, it is real continues to march, even though they don't see any evidence that God is moving. Something finally happens on the seventh day. God finally moves on the seventh day. Now, there are some things in the story that give us indication that God was, was not preparing Israel for war. God asked the the Israelites to to carry the Ark of the Covenant. That was the the symbol of his presence. And and you know where the Ark of the Covenant was kept? It was kept in the temple when Israel worshipped. The priests carried horns. These horns were used in ancient Israel as a call to worship. And then he, he told the people to shout. Now, now the word shout that appears in our text is actually a victory shout that Israel gave during worship. You you see where where God is going? God wanted Israel to worship him before he worked. (laughs) Notice the pattern. God wanted Israel to worship before he worked. That's God's pattern. Our pattern is, God, you work. Then we worship. As if God is only worthy of worship after he's done something. But but God is trying to instill in Israel and in us, even before he works, he's worthy of worship. And moreover, God often works in response to our worship. If you're in a situation right now where your heart is heavy and you don't know what to do, if you're in a situation right now where you don't feel like coming to church, you don't feel like praying, you don't feel like opening God's word, you don't feel like worshiping, I dare you! to worship God anyway and see what God does as a result. That God often works in response to our worshiping. And I know I'm right about it because my Bible tells me so. Remember in the book of Acts? Remember when Paul and Silas were in the Philippian jail. Remember, they were locked up and didn't know what else was going to happen. They didn't know if they were going to be executed, kept in jail illegally for God knows how long. But but remember, in spite of all these unanswered questions that they had in their lives, what Paul and Silas were doing in jail, they were praising God. And they praised God so much that God had to respond to their praise. Remember an earthquake struck in the jail and the gates opened wide and and Paul and Silas had the opportunity to to escape but instead of escaping they led the Philippian jailer to Christ and that story doesn't happen if Paul and Silas are in jail quiet and crying. That That story only happens because Paul and Silas are in jail, praising God. And some of you, you're in jail right now, emotionally, financially, physically, and you're not praising God. And the doors in your prison cell won't open until you praise. God responds to our praise. The walls came crumbling down in Israel's life in response to their praise. But the walls came down in Israel's life as a result of their obedience. The text is designed to teach us. It is tailored to teach us this morning that because Israel did, what God told them to do. God moved in the way he promised he would. When we do what God tells us to do, don't cut any corners. (laughs) Don't add your own ingredients and spices to substitute what he told you to do. When, When you do what God tells you to do, God moves as it according to the promise he made. The, the text is tailored to teach us that it is our obedience that moves God. C.S. Lewis said, Obedience is the key that opens every door. Yes. Charles Stanley says, For those who choose to obey God, they will never be disappointed. He writes, when you choose to obey the Lord, he will bless you. This is because obedience always leads to a blessing. I've always told people who say they do not understand why God is asking them to do a certain thing, that if they will obey him, he will reward them with a sense of peace and joy that compares to nothing this world has to offer that, that. As we obey God, as we do what God tells us to do, God moves in our lives. God removes the obstacles that we're facing. As we obey God, God deals with our enemies. As we obey God, God handles our problems. As we obey God, God fixes our relationships, as we obey God. God provides for our financial lack as we obey God. God feeds us and and clothes us as we obey God. God moves in our lives. I I heard this story, I'm I'm through, Uh, (laughs) of a pilot, a recently licensed pilot who, who was flying his private plane on a cloudy day. He he was not a very experienced pilot, and and he couldn't necessarily read the instruments that that, that were on his plane, so so he contacted the clock tower, and the clock tower began to give him instructions, and, and this pilot was reluctant to follow these instructions because it was so cloudy, he could not see And that's when the tower reminded him, hey, listen, it's your job to follow my instructions. I'll make sure that we get you home. And and that's God's word to you this morning. It's it's, it's your job to follow God's instructions. God will make sure that he gets you home.